Hello and welcome to Finding Your Inner Badass with Tom and Bridget. Our guest today is Michael Owen. Michael Owen is a real estate entrepreneur who's definitely found his inner badass down in the great, great state of Texas. Hello, Michael. Hello, Bridget. Welcome. Hello, guys. Hello. So, Bridget? So, Michael, right. we, we already had a little talk before and... Yeah, we detected that it's quite hard to introduce you in a very short sentence. Maybe you use a bit more sentences to introduce you. What are you really doing and who are you? Okay, yeah, so I'm located just on the south edge of Fort Worth in Texas. And a lot of our business is just in the DFW area. If we were going to say where I spent most of my time currently, uh, that would be with the with the startup of a barbershop that we are uh, putting together here in Fort Worth. And then we have several real estate developments and deals that we are working on getting across the table. We are always in the background doing something with our fencing company that's on the install. And then a little thing here, I, I invented a brace for gates. It's hardware for supporting gates so they don't sag. And if they do sag, you can adjust them over time. So I do have that, but it kind of sits in the background, takes care of itself with manufacturing and third party and, and our vendors that we have in two different states and 18 locations. They just make orders and they fill themselves. And I just kind of monitor that from the, from the, back, uh, from the back office side of things. So that's largely where the the business thing is now as far as what I'm doing. Other than if I'm not doing that, I'm doing my longhorns out with on the land, or I'm with I'm almost always with my son who is seven years old. And the very best person I've ever met in my life is that little guy there, and I love him to death. And my wife and I are we're really investing back into our personal time and things that we do. So I don't get overloaded with business. So definitely trying to be a healthy balance of real estate, uh, business, entrepreneur, several sources of income and being just the best family man I can. So is, is that what brought you to the real estate area? Or what brought you there? Do you disclose a bit of your story? Yeah, so real estate, I guess to really say it got started was would be at seven years ago that I guess the bug started inside of my body of what was I going, I was going to make this transition. Because prior to that, for about 12 years, I was a policeman and enjoyed the job and everything I was doing there. But it was all we could do to have any money by the time we were getting the next paycheck. It was, might be three or four days before we got paid that we had a hundred dollars left. And we weren't, we definitely weren't spending money back then. It just wasn't a lot to be made. And, you know, salaries have adjusted so much over the last 20 years from then to now. But my wife and I, uh, she had our, our son, and we piggybacked maternity leave. She took her maternity leave and I took mine. Well, as I held him, I just thought, man, I want the, everything for this sweet little baby that I have. I just want the whole world for him. Uh, and that's all I can do to live currently as I'm living now. So what, what can I do? I thought there's two avenues that most people will find a way of like wealth or, or more money in their life. And one would be technology as far as apps or anything you can do online. That was not it was not going to be me. Um, then, then the other would be real estate. That would be more applicable. And I, I knew enough about construction and real estate. And then I started just reading and that sparked, okay, you know what? I might just be dumb enough. I can do this. Uh, and started, started interviewing people, just getting some backgrounds and uh, made a determination I was going to do it. A year later from there, I was full force and had left the job and was doing real estate. Awesome. That, that sounds quite easy to me. I, <laughs> I bet it was not that easy as it sounds. Yeah, he's making it sound easy, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have, I have a, 
was a, a Monday morning quarterback biasness to it. When you look back at it, you realize it wasn't. It seems when you've already done it, you can be. It can come across like that for sure. But during the process, there's there's obstacles and hurdles that you have because you have your own self doubt. It's something completely new. You know, if you're at that time in your life, wherever you're at, I mean, this could be any, this scenario could apply to basically apply to anybody or most people is you're set in your job and you have, or what I had, I had a retirement, which now at the time I thought, okay, that might be something because I wasn't, I wasn't used to having any type of money. And I thought, okay, this amount of money coming in, that's, well, that's a lot of money. It's really not. I don't know how people live off that. Uh, I had insurance and this is, and I had a steady check that came every other Friday. So mentally and emotionally, I had wrapped my mind around that I was had reached some point of success in my life prior to real estate because I had these things. I had uh, a house. It was a rental house at the time that we lived in, but it was it was at least it was a house. And coming from my childhood, that was more than I ever had. So I felt like I was successful, and it wasn't until entered my son. I don't know like terms of successful, but it wasn't until I entered it with my son that it shook my basis of comfort because growth never happens happens from any place of comfort. So he shook that level of comfort I had and the plans I wanted to make for him in my life. I knew I was not on the right road to get there. So I really had to, I guess, conquer those demons of leaving that level of comfort I had with the guaranteed uh, benefits and the guaranteed paycheck that was every two weeks and the retirement that came with that. And knowing I was putting everything in the line of putting my family at risk um, and surrounded by just naysayers because so many people are living in that same life that you're in that current job with. So when you try to do something better for yourself, not only are you battling your own demons, but you're battling the people around you. Because their mindsets are stuck in the same place of comfort that yours was stuck. So it's kind of like they want to pull you back to normal and talk you down off that ledge. And not because I don't think that everybody wants to see you not be successful. But it's but some some do have that problem that they maybe not cognizant to it. They don't really like to see other people be successful. But also it goes outside their norm of comfort and they, they speak down to it as well. People can definitely project their fears of your your decision onto you, and I, and I don't think I think some people do it with malice, and I think I think the majority of people it's just they're just genuinely concerned and and using their own frame of reference to judge judge your decision. But the the real truth of the matter is is that it's not their decision to judge. Like you have to focus on your life, and that's definitely what you did at the time and and continue to do right. Well, you, uh, again, no one's ever going to make it happen for you. Mm -hmm. And you're you're the only person that's ever going to make it happen. And you have to, uh, you have to realize your information that you get has to come from a different source. There is that saying that we all hear one way or another about how birds of a feather flocking together or eagles don't fly with turkeys. And these, again, there's a hundred different Yes. Uh, sayings with that. So you have to start reaching out and looking for for other circles to get into, for other places to get your information. Because you'll have kind of like an availability bias. And what I mean by that is the information that's available to you, you have a biasness just in your in your thought process of what is real and what's capable and what can happen. So you're limiting yourself by people that you speak to where you get your information. And if you really want to make that, that huge paradigm shift, you have to start changing where that information is coming in from. Uh, the, realizing that just because nine out of 10 people tell you it's not going to work, it means that you probably got nine out of 10 people that are wrong people in your life. So this is the Finding Your Inner Badass podcast. 
I was wondering if you could share with our audience maybe a, one or two defining moments of where you think you found found what you needed to find to to embrace your inner badass and and make this leap. Like that, this is a huge leap for for anyone. What you did. Mm-hmm. Okay, so defining moments here, I would I would definitely say that the uh, it starts with a spark that comes inside of you it's a uh, you know motivation that you that you need to go somewhere it has to start with a spark so it has to be something internally with the spark of wanting to do something different and then you have to pair that with the courage so my spark was my son uh that the event that happened in my life then I followed that with the research. And then just the mindset that I don't care what anybody else is going to think. And it's not that I, I don't want to be compassionate, because I do want to be compassionate to people. But I'm also not going to be imprisoned by what you think about me. Because here's, here's another thing is often when you leave whatever you were doing, you realize that people that were your were your friends were never really your friends at all. You were more friends by by the accessibility of it, as far as they're in your common day to day life, and you really have to be prepared to truly walk away from where you are currently. Not I mean not that you have to just bid everybody adieu and leave them and never talk to them again. Like I'm better than you or anything of the sort, but a lot of people will take it that way, regardless. If Even if you're trying to do something for yourself, they, they, there's no telling how they process things. So th- that, that moment definitely was the, the, the key moment of, if I, if I had to say, an inner badass one. So um, following that would be getting my first deal done, like the first course of action. I've not, I believed in myself. I had the ambition. I believed in myself. I was doing the research and all that that we know about, but doing the first step, like the actual getting off go, going to the next step was getting the first deal. And fortunately, they've, they've been all been successful, some great, some not as great, but they've all been some level of success. Um, so that next point, get, I guess that gave me the reassurance to continue because there's only so long that you can sit here, in essence, and defy what popular opinion is if you don't have some type of small success plan, an action plan in front. So that first deal gave me the reassurance that I needed to say, okay, this is really something I could do. And there was a lot of sacrifices that had to be made to do that as far as time-wise, because I still had to work my regular job, but still have to perform and have to create these hours. And fortunately, my, my spouse was, was very accommodating to that with my schedule. Um, she didn't create additional barriers in my life for that. Uh, the, the next point I would say was my inner badass moment. Probably one of the most difficult decisions to make was when I quit my job. So I quit my job a year after after my the birth of my son. Almost almost to the uh, no, it was about backing up from that. Now that I'm thinking about that, it was probably more like twenty months after. Oh, not twenty months. Um, uh, eight months after after I after I did this uh, because my job was wanting me to start working overtime, and I was making more money with doing real estate now than I was when I was doing my regular job. And if I was to work overtime and come in on other, other days, it would really impact this new uh, breathing room that we had financially. And it would hit us really hard financially because you're never going to make anything more if someone else writes your check. If you're, if you're bound to someone writing your check, that's the most that you're ever going to be making. Uh, So I didn't want to fall down. I wanted to move forward. Because in, in the in the boat of life here, you're either moving forward or you're sinking. If you're standing, if you're staying still, you're sinking. You're not you're not moving forward. There's there is no such thing as staying still. Um, 
So, anyway, leaving the job because I had to walk away from that check, I had to walk away from that retirement, I had to walk away. And eternally, it was a ball of just my my guts were just torn up emotionally and worried and scared. And I didn't keep my license to go back to that job. I intentionally cut every string I could. So if even if I did fail, I couldn't go back to that job. And there were several times after that where, you know, things were really good and things were getting really slow and really kind of, kind of hard. And your back is against the wall and you have to rebuild or refocus that inner badass to, hey, you know what? I can sit here and quit or I can just really buckle down and laser focus on the things I've done that were successful and just, and just again, a thousand percent on that, on that one thing that I know has been successful if I did it enough, because as you, as you grow is when you start having failures. I, I've had many points where I would start, I would have an accomplishment. I was having a good, a kind of an easy, comfortable life. And again, comfort is, is dangerous. It's pretty much our enemy comfort i would get comfortable and then then it would i would i would have failures so i'd have to grow i have more failures and there's a constant hemorrhaging here growth is not just a steady incline up it's no it's, it looks like the stock market constant yeah. in and out it's hemorrhaging the whole time it's like breath and lungs uh so i would i would say that right there in itself is if, i know that wasn't one two three ish but that was definitely several different moments of recognizing my better inner badass for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think I probably do that still on a weekly, the monthly basis where I have to do that because again, I don't, I know if I'm, if I'm being still, I'm not making, I'm not growing. Where did you get your support during that time? between I decide to quit my job to do something else, but I also realize the people I have around me are not really supportive. Um, how, how did you find support in those times? Also to go through the self-doubt, will I make it? Am I not too crazy to leave everything behind, to cut all the strings? Uh, yeah, so... Tom and I did cross paths fairly early on in this, maybe a year, whatever that timeline is. I don't know the exact months, but Tom and I did cross paths, and and he was a positive in person, positive person in my life, and him and I have done some done some stuff together. Um, but really, other than that, it was probably just my spouse and my spouse realizing she didn't know anything about the business side of things. And she still doesn't really grasp much of the business side of things. But just the fact that she was willing to let me go out and try it was was this was the support I had. Uh it then I think the support maybe didn't come directly, like it wasn't intentional from other people. But whenever I saw that I was being having those successes, I would see people's reaction to that. And either it was a reaction of, oh, well, good job here, or this person of jealousy there. I took, no matter how that came across, when I saw that reaction, it reinforced that inner energy I had inside of me to, I can do this. So there wasn't, I don't have a, I don't have a family support system outside of my immediate family with my wife and my son because I have uh, a big disconnect and left my my past behind me from my childhood with uh, with the players I had there because uh, they were ne they were negative people in my in my life so really yeah yeah kind of answer your question that that's where I I got my basis of support from. Mm. I actually am reminded of an interview where, where I was being interviewed by uh, our, our uh, 
mentor, Ryan Matthew Bridget. And he made the comment that Tom, you're the biggest badass I know. And I was, I was kind of like taken aback by that. And he says, he says, when you say you're going to do something, you do it. And like, I, you know, hop made the plans, uh, paid him for the, for the retreat, uh, booked the flights, flew from drove, drove from my place to Detroit, to Chicago, or flew to, uh, not Chicago, Chicago, no Boston. Uh, and then Boston over to Europe and Europe to Madeira. And, and he, and he was, he was just kind of like honoring that. And it just actually reminds me that, uh, when our paths first crossed between Michael and myself, he did a similar thing. He, he literally bought a plane ticket, flew up, landed in, in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, I believe, rented a car, showed up at the border to find out they don't take credit cards, <laughs> had, to, had to go find money, cashed it to pay for his uh, bridge fare to cross into Canada, and <laughs> uh, basically made his case for um, working with him in, in real estate. And I think that was, uh, a, you know, a pretty badass moment on his part to go do that and uh, to get a skeptic like me. Uh, at least back then, I was very skeptical. You might remember Michael. <laughs> and uh, you know, we uh, we ended up, um, you know, doing doing some work together on that. Um, so I, I've seen I've seen Michael in action when he's going after something, and uh he's a force to be reckoned with but what what puzzles me is people with like i mean someone might a naysay let's just call it a generic naysayer a naysayer might say oh well that's easy for michael his dad was probably in real estate uh no you might want to back up and find out a little bit about michael's backstory it's so i don't know if, if you would mind michael just kind of um Maybe maybe a Reader's Digest um, family friendly version of um, uh, <laughs> uh, the challenges that you faced. Um, I mean, yeah. the way the way I look at your backstory, I, I'm I'm privy to it being friends. Is like I think I would be understating the odds if I would say one in a thousand would make it. I I think actually like one in a hundred thousand with your background would be able to do what you've been able to do. So maybe, uh, you know, paint, paint us a little picture by numbers. Well, not numbers, but, you know, paint, paint a little picture. Uh, Reader's Digest version, family friendly. Yeah. Um, so my, uh, so, so, say as far as like a father, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a father. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure, obviously I do biologically, I do somewhere. Um but my my mother had me she was 15 and then the the guy that was the supposed father at the time or believed to be a father 16 himself or so and had moved on i think they were married for two months during her pregnancy before he had moved on and um i did actually end up meeting him one time when i was 12. Uh, i had found the ride to get from near Fort Worth down to Houston. And kind of that, I mean, just that in itself will probably tell you a little bit about how my family life was if I had to find my own ride at 12 years old. But I met him and he basically told me my mother was a whore and, and there was no telling who my father was. And he was sorry he wasted the two hours driving there to tell me that. Uh, but my, my mother introduced many of the men into her life that were stepfather figures that were uh, sexually abusive and physically abusive. So it was, uh, if, if there was anything I learned from, from the people that were in my life, whether it be my mother or, or whatever male figure was in my life at the time, it was how to uh, roll a joint or pour a shot of whiskey or to do some type of violence. Cause violence was a thing that was a regular occurrence in, in the family life. So they were also were not very good at paying bills, which was, I guess, probably fed my drive to not be poor because we moved 32 times. I went to 18 schools and it was very, oh, it was very tedious as far as on a young, young kid moving schools that many times. 
and not having a solid basis. So there was not much there in the in the way of any type of family or, or lessons learned or anything that was uh, given to me to help me along this path. I did try to, once I went to, I'll say, I'll say this, in, in high school, I was or pretty much all the way through school, I was fairly dedicated to my studies because it was a, it was a thing of comfort for me. It was a, it was a way of me getting praise mm-hmm. that if I got 100s, I didn't, it wasn't relying upon anyone else to give me that praise. It was that 100 or that 90 or on that paper that made me feel good about myself. So it was, it was something that I was really into because it was part of my life that made me feel better about me and my situation. Um, so that led to me having the full ride to college with an academic scholarship uh, when I graduated. So again, not much involved with family because I think she was on step husband four or five by the time that I had uh, uh, went to went to college. And then whenever I came back and started doing the police life and, and when I had my my wife and our son, I tried to rekindle, I was probably 27, I'm 41 now, it's probably about 27 when I tried to rekindle that with my mother and have a relationship and, okay, maybe we're in different grounds now. And I told her, listen, you can't have cancer every every two months for a different cancer. People realize that you're not being you're not being honest, and I so said you just need to. I'm sorry about that beeping, but uh, I said you just need to be honest with everybody. And then she said, I regret that I did not go through drowning you as a child when I was holding you under the water in the bathtub, and I wish I would have just drowned you. And I said, well there's really no place for you in our life. And uh, I can't, I can't have, I can't, even though I desire to have a relationship with you, I can't have you having access to other people in my life because this is what you're saying now as a grown woman, this is not the you when you were 15 or 16, this is you now. And the best thing for me is to, I guess, excommunicate you. And that's what I did. And uh, truly I have a lot of peace with that. I don't, I don't feel bad. I don't have animosity in me. I've, I mean, I've been to counselors. I spoke to counselors about everything from my past and uh, willing to work through that because I don't want that holding me back. I don't want that being something I get weighed down by. And I have really nothing but peace with the decisions I made to get out of those situations and to, uh, to move on. So, yeah, anyways, there was no catapult. There was no springboard to – Push me into this life other than giving me the desire to not repeat their life. Yeah, that sounds very strong and very courageous. Michael, what is courage for you? You mentioned it before. You need courage to go through all of this and to change things to the better. Yeah, so I would definitely say. Courage is being afraid and knowing that you're afraid and that there's fear that you have with whatever the situation is. might be a small situation, a large situation, but you take the action regardless of having the courage. I don't think you can have courage without also being afraid. But when you do something, it could be... You know, I, my wife and I are in this marriage group where we go through at church and it's small groups, intimate groups. And you have to, you know, have admit to things or say things and bring up hard topics within your marriage. And that in itself is something that is courage. It, it doesn't have to be that you quit your job. Uh, it could just be the fact that that is something you don't want to do. You're afraid to do it and you're doing it. But that's. That's exactly how I would find courage. In in our conversations today, you've kind of mentioned it, but we haven't really spoken about it directly. And that is being a man of faith. You mentioned about the church and, and, and that, but you haven't really spoken about what being a man of faith does for you and how it's helped you 
become who you've become and also, you know, find your inner badass self, of course. Yeah. So, you know, we all faith faith is a lot like when I was describing or like a being, you know, we all have different walks and different beliefs and different things, but uh, faith is a lot like when I'm talking about being successful, that it, it's not just a straight line. It's constantly up and down, ups and downs. And there's definitely been moments in my life where I felt like I was more of a man of God and more of a man of faith than other times. And times I felt super connected and times I wasn't. So um, I, I think where that plays over into your life as far as maybe successes or not successes, because I don't, I'm definitely not going to say that this is the only way in the way that you have to be, but there's a practice there that I do think that overlays Mm -hmm. and that practice is, or the, or the theories or or the, the teachings is that you can have mistakes. You can have sins, you can have errors in your life. And then by grace that is afforded to you, that you're, you're able to move past those things. So if I'll tell you this, your energy is focused on your, your energy is going where your attention is focused. So if my, if my attention is focused on my past or maybe something with my mother and my, or whatever dad that wasn't in my life or whatever failure I had in my life, that's where all my energy would go. And I'm a big believer in energy in this whole world of like faith and everything I I believe in what you put out into the world. I believe in claiming your successes just in, in, in that. So my faith is very much of, um, you know, as as far as God and trying to live by those morals and, and things that have been preached in, in exercising grace, but it's also in the fact of just to, energy and and moving forward and not moving the past because if you look in the past that's where you're driving to the future is something that is planned is something that is solved out something that your your attention your energy is focused on and your future is never going to happen if the future as far as growth is something that has to be worked on and proclaimed and achieved so that's why i would say that the overlay in my faith and my personal growth or business growth that's where those two definitely overlap. Now, we are, I mean, my wife and I are, are very much engaged and involved in that. And I, in, in church, as far as like talking about faith, we are very, very much so engaged and then critical of ourselves and constantly because we're, we're, we're in different small groups too and just trying to be the, the best versions of ourselves that we know that we can try to be. Uh, but do you have to do you have to be that to be this no uh, i wouldn't, wouldn't say that at all there's plenty of examples out there where you don't but for me personally i do believe it sets me with a couple of different traits and, and actions that overlay well with my with my personal growth as far as you know where your energy is focused and believing yourself and not holding yourself down i mean i don't assume that's probably what you were asking no, actually, it's very helpful because you're saying it is a way to to manage your energy and your attention and your thoughts. It's not the only way. You you went you you went you went out of your way to say that it's not required. It's it's only it's one way of it getting where you've managed to get to. Is that yeah? Correct? I'll tell you something that's been big on me and like my heart uh, is the ability to to hear opposing ideas. And opposing thoughts, because I I would think on the large basis we have difficulty hearing conflicting ideas and conflicting thoughts while attacking them, or uh, you know it could be political, it could be anything over uh, the, the different gender things wherever it is without labeling that as something that is wrong or bad or whatever it is. Um, so I, I really think a lot of that comes from just, I don't think a lot of focus and attention is placed 
on us in our in our early childhood across the board uh, just general acceptance of people and acceptance of other ways and acceptance of differing ideas and different strategies because there's so I mean there's millions upon millions of people out there uh, and not everybody's going to be the same not everybody has the same path and in what what li- what little monkey brain knowledge I have in this beautiful bald cranium, I can promise you, even if I feel like I have a grasp on Christianity, I don't. Because uh, I'm only capable of knowing and understanding so much. So if I myself am not this all-knowing being or entity or whatever, then how am I even qualified to tell you you're wrong or that your path is not the right way. So again, going back to just me personally, I've really have had this transition, I would say in the last two years of just recognizing the ability to hear something that was contradicting and accepting that. Or if I hear something, I'll allow myself to agree to it like up to 50%. <laughs> say we want to talk about like aliens or or AI possibilities, and there are these different things that we can all go into these different topics about. You know, I'll go with you a little bit on this. It doesn't mean I have to go full play. I don't have to agree completely with you to agree with you, in essence. So I do believe, believe that there's strength in you as a person in growth if you're able to be more fluid. You know, if you want to go and read The Art of War with Sun Tzu, where he's talking about water moving past stones you don't you don't worry about trying to push that stone you go around that stone and in essence stones will move with water but it's it's kind of like that approach to just life and in different opinions is the fact of just being like water just letting everything flow don't try to push down a rock just try to flow with it flow to direction and it's it's been really kind of an interesting thing with me that i I make myself dive back into it to recognize it and and then critiquing myself over, ah, you know what? My my stepdaughter who has her limited 20, however old she is, about to be now, 23-year-old mind, and I get conflicted with what she might say and what she might do or her opinion of something, I have to realize she has a 23-year-old mind. I can't expect her to have the experience and the knowledge and the things I can just hope that maybe I've put something in there and I don't get frustrated by it because if I get frustrated or angry at you or your thought or your belief or whatever you whatever you think this is, like this has to be this way or wherever the whole world's going to, to the pot, then I'm giving you control over my life. If I get angry and I get a response based off of something completely not in my control, then I have handed over my control. Wherever that be, like, I want to be successful. And you say, oh, you know, so many, so few people do that. And it's, it's, it's so risky. You're not going to do that. And I have given you the keys to my success, and you have that now. Or if it's anything even even smaller, like my, my stepdaughter, she wants to argue about, you know, anything in life and I do that then I've given her control over my happiness I've given her the keys of my own spiritual like health and well-being so I am very much yeah open I guess you can say let you be you let you make mistakes I make mistakes and that has brought me into accepting just the humility of how I'm not the greatest thing that's ever happened and I have I am ignorant, and I, there are several things I don't know, but I am dang sure dedicated to making my life better or making me better. Um, so there you go. Did, did that in any way change or influence your view you have on your work as a police officer? Because working as a police officer, there is a lot of, you have done something wrong, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot about right and wrong or guilt, non-guilty. Um, 
Does that change your view on your own work? Yeah, so there's, oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. I told her she asked good questions. <laughs> well, there's there's just a whole different world that kind of opens up because you have to go through just the training in general to be a policeman. You know, a lot of the people, I would say, specifically that become a policeman are younger because the older people are already established or they're too smart to get into it. Uh, but you kind of come in as this young man. I know personally I did. Like, I was 21. But you come in and at 21. I had no idea what it was like to be a man, but I'm sitting here supposed to be telling people what to do with their lives. These people that are twice my age and know twice as much about life than I, than I do. And I'm still trying to figure out who I am. So that general teaching that you receive to become that policeman typically has a lot of kind of like just like power control ish type like hey you know we, we're this and we're amazing <laughs> we everything we do and not that everything is like that but they it's i guess it is important that they kind of teach you to have that i guess that dominating attitude uh, because you have to have some confidence in yourself. Otherwise, you're not a very good policeman. And you have to have confidence in your decisions. Otherwise, you're not a very good policeman. The problem is, is whenever that confidence is paired with ignorance, then you have ignorant decisions that are overly confident into false, into false uh, basis and foundations. And I think you can see that in uh, across the board that there's some amazing policemen that are knowledgeable and confident and and with that is an equal dose of being compassionate and understanding about life so yeah initially there was i would say it was very egotistical and and like yeah basically egotistical as in my youth and then as i aged and as i gained life experience then I became more, uh, I guess, more cognitive to, hey, you know what? I, yeah, that was where you're at right now. I had that same choice in front of me like two weeks ago uh, compared to, 20, to the 21-year-old me didn't do that or I hadn't, hadn't had that experience in life. So I would say there's that. And then my conflict came within myself and went back when I was doing that over there are several things in the police world that are politically driven because a city council or, or some person in the community that has more money than everybody than most people that have more pool or that wants something a certain way or maybe there's not it's illegal to have quotas but they also do monthly stat sheets and rank you on what arrest and what dwis and what tickets you write and there's performance reviews that are tied to those things. So there's not quotas per se. So I and I had, even though back then I wasn't someone that was doing what I was doing now, I still always struggled with, are we doing this just to say we're doing this, or are we doing this to have an impact? And a lot of things I found back then were able to do it, to say we were doing it, not because we truly believed it. So I went through a, a lot of different, I guess, inner struggles, paradigm shifts in maturity through those 12 or 13 years, wherever it was. Not that I was the best of what I did. I was passionate about what I did. I cared about what I did. Uh, but maybe that is something that helped me be more receptive to the thought of where I am now. And, you know, that... It's a constant growth. I mean, it was probably the the seedings of an apple tree back then. They gave me some type of basis or ambition to want to be more mindful to controversy. Um, because there's, yeah, there's several things that have happened past that point to where those people might look down on me or look at me differently after I left there. And truly, I could care less. I just... You know what, if you're a prisoner, if you're focused on somebody else, and I'll tell you this, that uh, 
haters are just confused fans of, of you. I've, so I've heard that line, and I love that definition. Um, if, if they're tracking everything you do online, and we're very much not online. My wife turned hers off. I turned most of mine off because we're very much not social media people anymore because we could really care less about what's going on. Uh, but it's easy for people to get on there and say things and do things and track things. And, and those people are actually having to spend their time to track you down, to say something, to do something negative. And well, you know, if you think about that in either concept, that's the same thing that a fan does. If uh, my dog came from a, a really famous baseball player that he put her in a jet throughout to our house. And, and I will look up news about this guy because I care about him and I will look up his stats. I will check his games, even though I could care less about actually watching any type of play, baseball game, but I'll, I'll watch for when he's going to play when it's something I can see, because I'm a fan of that guy. Is that any different from anybody else that looks up things for you to say something bad about you in, in another light? And that's what I'm saying. Haters are just confused fans. And, that they like something or they are envious about something or it moves them internally with some emotion that they want to engage themselves in your life. So I could care less about people that say anything horrible uh, just because, you know, I just feel more feel bad for them because they felt it was worth their time to even say something in the first place. At what point did you know you're on the right path? You know, I don't know if I'm ever really on the right path um, because I'm always looking back at the me from six months ago thinking, dude, you could have been doing this. <laughs> you could have been doing that. Uh, I, I was even having this conversation with my wife yesterday before we went to church was I woke up feeling like I was uh, not doing good enough or whatever. But that's me believe, That's me wanting to believe that monkey brain in the back of my head that I need to do something better or different. Um, uh, but I would tell you, um, I think I'm on the right path in general as much as I can be because I can see the fruits of my labor. I am not going backwards. I refuse to focus on things in the past. And I think that's really when you're on the right path. It doesn't mean that you have to be making a million dollars. It has to be that you realize today is a step in that direction. So I, that's how I would probably define the right path is the me today is better than me that woke up yesterday. And the me tomorrow okay. is going to be better, better than the me today. And I might have bad times in there. I might have a month off. But as long as I get back on track and on path, then I guess that, in essence, would be my right path. That's a very, very awesome way to look at it. Very, it allows you to not have external fixed goals necessarily determining your path. You're looking at, Am I just a better version of myself today than I was last week or last month or, or yesterday, depending on what, what your perspective is for, uh, you know, having those thoughts? Yeah. And you have to take the, I guess, the, the picture of the uh, iceberg in that or, or you know, even say the duck. The duck has paddling the feet, but look calm on, service, on the surface or the iceberg of everything that happened below that before you see the tip of it. So in essence, there's your, or even here we, we talk about successes and people, it looks like people just blew up overnight, but you didn't see the 10 years of failures before that, mm -hmm. the thousands of failures before that, or even, um, you know, the creation of the light bulb with as there's, Many failures, I think it was 2,000 failures before the light bulb was actually created. So there you go with the right path that, you know, I'm moving in that direction. Michael, you mentioned several times 
that you also faced fears and self-doubt and you said to your wife yesterday, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. What are the means to overcome those feelings? Uh, I think you have to recognize that you're having them. So, you know, Einstein would tell you that the largest part of solving the problem is understanding the problem. So when you have those feelings, you have to recognize that you're having those feelings. And if we go back to maybe faith or energy, uh, you can listen to two different voices. And there's also a story here of there's two wolves that live inside every person. And which wolf, only one wolf can win inside of you. So what wolf is that going to be that lives inside of you? And the answer is, is which one do you feed the most? So if I'm going to feed the wolf inside of me that is one of doubt, the one of insecurity, the one of fear, and that's where I give my in, my attention, and that's where my energy goes. So yeah, and again, yesterday I, I I woke up with that. There's nothing I did that created that. There was no failure that I recently had. There was no obstacle. I just woke up with that internal thought that you know I need I need, I need to be doing more. I need to be doing more. Uh, and that's good if I can take that and redirect that over to the fact of, well, let's look at some ways here that maybe I could do some more stuff as opposed to focusing on the fact that I was not successful enough. Let's focus on where I maybe can add some successes or add some effort or do something maybe a little bit better. It, it's where are you going to drive that car? Are you going to drive it off the cliff or are you just going to try to drive it in, into the curve? Uh, so, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest battle there is knowing that those thoughts will happen, that those demons will keep up on top of you, and that worry and that insecurity, regardless of what you do and how successful you are, it's going to happen. And you have to be able to recognize that. And it might be uh, – here's, here's the thing is, too, is you don't have to win every day. You are completely capable of taking a day off. Whatever you have going on, uh, you can take a day off. You can lose a day, and you can chalk it up. Like I, I yesterday, in essence, I pretty much did this for 80% of the day. I just chalked it up that the day was going to be a loss for me, and I'm going to be okay with that. So what am I going to do to enjoy this and not focus on this? Well, you know. I prepared for our little Bible study thing that we had, and I just didn't. I just didn't put any stress, any additional stress on myself, because <laughs> I was going to take a bogey that day, as opposed to going for a birdie. And I ended it really well, and it ended up being more of a par day, as opposed to a bogey. So that's uh, a uh, yeah. That's that's kind of how I kind of how I view it there. I just had a flashback to last winter. I think it was last winter when you guys had the unexpected deep freeze that caused the power grid to fail and yeah. all that. And you have a house with, with family members in it with mm -hmm. no heat, no water. Yeah, and you have the longhorns that mm -hmm. need water that's you know freezing on them because it's a deep freeze. And then there's you. Yeah. Tell, tell like, that 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 would have been enough to get make most people go like i give up and you from what i understand are, are with the i think what's called a gator with some type of little a john deere gator yeah. john deere gator hauling water and and, and finding uh you know finding your you're, you're just out there doing it can you like tell tell us a little story about that and i think it'd be a nice way to, to wrap up today's episode with with that story and just you exemplifying the best of, of Michael Owen in my humble opinion with with what you did there <laughs> yeah so you know we just came off a week of that over, over four days of that recently again but unfortunately we didn't lose power but I had several things in my life that I had done uh in preparations because of that and I believe that was two years ago now uh and it, the funny thing here is some people had power, some people didn't, some people lost water, some people didn't. So you could have been just living life maybe a little normal with little groceries, or you could have been uh, living like our ancestors. And it definitely gets a whole new appreciation for what your ancestors had to go through 
for sure. But no, Texas is is a brutal beast sometimes in the fact of you'll just get straight ice. You don't get snow. You just get straight ice. So we got straight ice, and the weight knocks down trees and power lines. You lose power, and then our pipes froze at our house. So, yeah, we spent a week without power, without water, and, and then uh, I was – I was, we don't keep wood, you know, we, this is Texas. It's, it's, it's like tropical. We don't keep quarts and quarts of wood on hand to be burning. So uh, I went out with a chainsaw and axe and I was chopping wood and green wood and dead wood and, and all this stuff and, and trying to, trying to heat a house that wasn't designed properly to heat with a fireplace. And thankfully we had that. Uh, we have a John Deere Gator that I would put water in the back of that and drive that roughly about five miles to cows and go there and chop up their ice. Again, we're just we're not really we're kind of ignorant. We're not kind of we are completely ignorant here with how to live in those conditions. <laughs> um, but I was dedicated to just I love my animals. And I don't want them to suffer. Uh, but first, it's in the family, so. We would, uh, I would take that John Deere Gator and I would, I would go as far as I could to get whatever resource I had to go get with that Gator and gas up several times back and forth to make it happen. Uh, then just dedicated to make sure that nobody froze because I believe at one point in our house it was eight degrees inside. Fahrenheit. Um, so I just had everybody bundled up around the fire. And I would be, I would just take snow. I was melting snow to fill the toilets. And uh, just on the heat, I, I would just, you know, just do what I had to do. I, I made fires outside with with the wood that I created. or And I had some meat in the freezer. So I would just take the meat out and put it on the, on the fire and try to thaw it near the fire because it wouldn't thaw because it was freezing temperatures. So meat, if you took out the freezer, it wasn't falling. And of course, there was no power anyways, but it wasn't falling. So I would just sit next to the fire and let it fall. Then I would cook meat and did that for a week. And it was something I never really wanted to do again. I've taken steps to try to, with generators and the, the foresight now that I have with it to not re relive that. I'm sure glad I wasn't down visiting at that time because... Mm -hmm. uh... Yeah, me too, because it'd be one more person I had to feed, and really I don't want to take you <laughs> Yeah. Um I'm gonna ask two other little questions and then we'll we'll call it a an episode. But okay. uh, the first question is with all the wisdom that you have now, I, I think that would be this my summary word for your inner badass is just the collection of wisdom and, and applying it in your life based on the stories you've shared with us today. But what would you want 21-year-old Michael Owen to know? What would you want him to know to help him, you know? Well, if I could have got him on the path now as opposed to then, um, I would have done that because if I could have everything I'm doing now with an additional 20 years in front of it, where would I be? Um, but I would probably want him to know then that the circles of people around you, as far as, you know, the, the people you fly with, your birds of a feather, is a really, really true thing. And that dream about what you can achieve if fear wasn't an option. Uh, in essence, there with and the, believing in yourself and taking action. And something that just reinforced the fact of taking some action, some force of confidence and belief inside yourself that made you take that action sooner. And my, my follow-up to that is what aspects of that or what qualities of that message are you trying to currently instill in the light of your life? Your, your um, young son there. Yeah, well, the love of my life, we're talking about my wife and my son. So 
So I would say my son, so my wife is pretty much uh, her own person and currently kind of adultish. But so my son, kind of a funny thing there, you know, he really battles with uh, dyslexia and reading, and it's just a really stressful thing for him. He writes everything backwards, uh, which my wife is, she's to blame. So we can alter our hate towards her right now for that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, he really bows with that. He's great with math. He loves science. And and then so for him, I'm telling him, hey, listen, if we don't get this right, it's okay. Um, and if you completely suck at doing spelling, this is okay. So I went and picked him up early this last week on Tuesday because the, the ice storm was coming in. And I was talking to the staff up there, and I said, I just, you guys need to know that I am trying to raise a good man. And I have very little faith in the general populace. And I'm trying to raise a son that can battle against these approaches to, I guess, control of information and ideas and, and emotions and thoughts that is forced fed to us with propaganda in general with just the information. Uh, and I think the most, I think the most, uh, probably the most beneficial thing that we can do to the future of just of everyone is to raise someone capable of free thinking that can create their own genuine thoughts and ideas and expression of their emotions and their feelings that they're not just regurgitating what they've been told or or anything that they've seen, but they're, they're, the ability just to generate their own basic opinion. It's a, a mirror a mirror population. And, and then if you can couple that with some sound morals, and they, I can try to raise the most morals, kid I can, but instinctively and naturally he's going to have his own battles that he's going to have just mm -hmm. biologically. But if I can give him the best examples of that with the ability to be his own genuine thinker, I think that's where that kind of plays in for me. And that's really my daily approach to him. And I will say with this, uh, just to look kind of like a final thing is my wife is, we had a conversation because she was annoyed with this. And I told her the importance of it. But every day, and maybe several times a day, maybe it was twice twice a day, I asked my son the same exact question. And I say, son, who do I love more than anybody in this whole world? And he says, well, that's, that's me. And I said, okay. And who is my very best friend? And I'll say, well, that's me. And I say, well, you ever do anything that I can't like overlook or anything like that. And he says, no. And I said, okay, that's all you have to know. And my wife at first thought that was maybe the wrong approach to it. Maybe you should tell your son that. And I do tell my son constantly, but she felt like that was a bad approach to that. And I said, listen, I want my son to profess this. And when these marriage classes would go to, there's so many people that go back and they look at their lives and look at the parents' involvement in their life. And there's some real trauma and turmoil they live with of, you know, not their father expressing love and things to them. I say it's so important that my son has the ability to express love and receive love. And not only do he, is he going to hear it, but he's going to profess it. So every day and every day until the day I die, that's what's going to be what's going to happen. And maybe it's the wrong way. Maybe it's not, but it's just my way. I think that's A, beautiful, and B, he's in really good good hands. Wonderful, yeah. Bridget, any final words before we close off? Well, let me ask you one more thing, Michael. <laughs> no, that's it. You're only allowed to answer in one sentence. Okay. Oh. So in, in, when you have a bad day, what is your guiding sentence? Hmm. When I have a bad day, my God, it's more of just a phrase. 
just F it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Uh, even though we're friends, I've already learned so much more about you with this interview and, and humbled by it. Uh, Bridget, thank you so much for tuning in from Switzerland to uh, co-host with me. And uh, we'll uh, be back again in a couple of weeks with another exciting guest. So thank you, everyone, for listening. All right. Bye, everyone. Take care. Yes.